Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Be calm, be calm. The chief is here. Hello, one, two, three, four. Hey, why does this sound so sharp here tonight? Hello, there. Yeah, somebody's been playing with the knobs. Yes, they have. You ever have any trouble with anybody playing with your knobs? <laughs> I'm, <poor. laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, uh, Nick, we got to clear the air after that bomb, Rooney. Would you please give me that little uh, thing there, please? Please, just to hit it there for a second. Just... Hit the button, yeah. Yeah, one-man band, it says. Yeah, just hit it. We got cleared the air. That was awful bad. Please. And uh, when we clear the air here, I have a serious question to ask. All the other gang, let's go. reset that. Okay, Nick, you just let that run through. Is that what you do in there? Very good. Hey, listen, I have a question. It's been bothering me. And, you know, as you know, I'm not a trivia cuckoo. I don't sit around asking you who played the second gangster from the left in 
Joan Blondell's famous picture she made with Pat O'Brien the time he was complaining of bunions. I mean, you never hear me about. Hey, do they have bunions anymore? No, really, do they have bunions? I had this aunt who was always talking about bunions. And I, I, all through my first five or six or 150 years as a kid, I always thought bunions was something that grew, you know, in the backyard. And you planted it every year out of bulbs. No, I'm sorry. But uh, do they still have bunions? They do. I haven't run into anybody that has bunions. Uh, do they Do they still have gout? They do? Oh, no kidding. Oh, for crying out loud. Now, that's what I call elegance, you know. Gout uh, used to be known, from what I understand about it, as the disease of wealth. You know, we're rich people, so it's no wonder Barry's got gout, right? Yeah. But, oh, no, no, I don't hold it against them. No, not at all. Incidentally, speaking of God, listen, there are 248 berries on the radio. It could be almost anybody. But uh, <laughs> I, I was... Uh, uh, the question I would like to ask you is what the comic strip character suffered terribly from gout. Homer Biggert? No, he's a guy who writes for the New York Times. Can't be. Uh, <laughs> no, what comic strip character suffered from God? It just hit me. And the one other question, this is not trivia. I, I, I want to clear up a, a philosophical point that has been bugging me. Uh, do any of you know the name of the town that Superman worked? What was the name of the town that he worked in? Yeah? Well, are you sure of that? You sure, Nick? You sure what uh, what planet he came from and everything? You know all these things. Okay, good. I just want to make sure that we're on the same plane of, uh, of philosophical thinking, you know. And by the way, speaking of uh, what planet, uh, have you ever had the feeling that the, the West Coast is on another planet, I mean, philosophically, from us, really? Uh, well, uh, we would like to take the occasion tonight, before we go any further, we would like to uh, salute a lady who had the ultimate... Uh, the ultimate uh, ding-dong happened to her here the other day in, uh, of all places, uh, do, you know, no surprise, Los Angeles. No surprise. Great moment. Uh, and then, incidentally, uh, for those of you who, uh, who've been walking around griping about the insurance world, you know, uh, complaining, oh, yeah, a lot of people gripe, you know, insurance rates are going up every minute. You want to hear one of the fantastic reasons why insurance rates are going completely out of, can you imagine an insurance claim adjuster getting this one? Hand it to him on his desk. So give me a little more of them drums, uh, please, Nick, if you will. I'm using the Jersey vernacular there. Some of them drums, please. I like to hear guys playing them drums, right? Thank you. That thing good. We'd like to salute uh, a lady out in Los Angeles who had a terrible thing happen to her, Mrs. Dorothy Irwin. Uh, a lady near Los Angeles, a uh, place out there named Silmar, uh, her house was damaged by the February 9th earthquake. Remember the earthquake they had last year? Was destroyed by mistake Wednesday. Miss <laughs> Did you hear what I said? Listen to that phrase. Was destroyed by mistake Wednesday. Mrs. Dorothy Irwin uh, had lived in this house for a long time, but she left it unoccupied since the earthquake. It was a little damage on it, so she moved out, you know, until they had it fixed. 
She said she received a call from a former neighbor who lived next door to the house or around the house early Wednesday telling her that a bulldozer was being unloaded onto her property. Mrs. Irwin quickly got dressed and drove the two miles to the house from the San Fernando apartment in which she is now living. She arrived too late. It couldn't have been more than 30 minutes between the time I was informed of it and when I arrived, she said. But the house was already torn down. She said she ran up to the contractor who was standing around on the job smoking cigars and shouted, What are you doing? She said the man asked her if this was not a Raven Street house that he had contacted to demolish under the earthquake demolition program of the Federal Office of Emergency Preparedness. No, I told him. This address is 13603 Eldridge Avenue, Mrs. Irwin said. He told me not to worry about it. The insurance would cover the damage. <laughs> All I got to say is, can you imagine some poor insurance guy sitting there? He says, they did what? They want us to cover what? With a bulldog? You mean the wrong address? Listen, that's worse. Than the, almost, that's almost as bad. You know, I have a friend who's a dentist. And uh, you already anticipated what I'm about to say. But not really. There was this friend of mine, and, and uh, he is. He's a dentist, and he's a, you know, he's a real hip-type dentist and a good one. And he says, you know, one of the big jokes, you know, you, you never hear about intramural dentist jokes. I mean, dentists talk about, you know, the things they sit around. When four or five dentists are sitting around having a, having a cup of tea, you know, <laughs> a little uh, Jack Daniels. Well, what do they talk about? You know, they talk, oh, boy, you should have seen the one the other day. Had, had roots all the way down into her feet. Oh, my God. You know, <laughs> what do they say? See, he says, well, a, a standard joke, of course, among dentists is uh, always the hypothetical dentist that pulls the hypothetical wrong tooth. And he says, you know, it's a standard joke, you know, nobody, nobody ever, like uh, among radio guys, a standard joke is the thing that uh, one day somebody said once in Pittsburgh on the radio when he thought his microphone was off, and everybody cackles, but you never meet the guy who actually said it. He's always hypothetical, he's a guy once I knew in, kind of thing. And uh, I might point out, that's all part of what we call in the trade the Uncle Don myth. Now, the Uncle Don myth is mythical. It's like, you know, it's like Icarus flying up there by the sun, you know, with his wax wings flapping. Now, uh, you can sit around and say all you want about Icarus, or is it Icarus, which do you prefer? I mean, you know, you can jabber around all you want, but damn few people can say, well, I was there today, the he did it, I saw them wings, and they had the wax wings, and I told them, you know, but no, no, not at all. It's a myth, you see, that's what makes it a groovy thing. And uh, I would like to point out that uh, every city I've ever been in, whenever radio guys gather, and the radio listener types occasionally do, there is somebody pointed out on a street corner, usually either selling uh, newspapers, pencils, sometimes apples. Once in a while, he's selling shoelaces on the corner, a little old man with black glasses. And he's often uh, pointed out to me as being the original Uncle Don who said, that'll, uh, that'll uh, hold a little you-know-what's when he thought his microphone was off after he concluded his uh, kid program. Now, uh, this uh, so-called event is, is reputed to have occurred, Nick, in the following cities. Cleveland, Cincinnati, twice in Los Angeles, once in New York, and four times minimum in New York City. And it even is rumored that it once happened in Indianapolis, all by a man named Uncle Don. Now, 
if you were to line up all the radio listeners who claim they heard it happen, I would like to suggest now that those listeners all standing with their hands close to their body, scrunched up next to the one guy, next to the next one, next to the next one, would form a line that could girdle the globe a minimum of seven and a half times, which means that that hypothetical Uncle Don had a listening audience roughly tantamount, I would suggest uh, at this point, to uh, four Super Bowl games rolled into one, which uh, belies belief. But uh, nevertheless, oh yes, I would like to know how many people were listening to a football game when they heard the announcement of Pearl Harbor. This is another great, vast multitude. Must be oh, 100, 200, maybe 300 million people at least were listening to that football game. And uh, <laughs> I, I uh, so this is all part of mythology. It's all, you know, part of mythology. And the, the one thing that's interesting about it is that nobody has ever been able to pinpoint the actual Uncle Don where he said it, right? Well, uh, this is true of dentists. So dentists are always talking about a dentist once they heard of who did that, you know what, with the wrong tooth. Well, my friend told me the other day, this dentist friend of mine, he was ashen, he was shaken. And I said, what's the matter, John? And he said, well, I just, just, just said, I don't know how to tell you. And I said, well, what happened, John? He said, well, uh, he said, well, you heard me talk about Wesley. And I said, yes, I have heard you talk about Wesley. Wesley is the cut-up dentist. You see, among uh, among any uh, group of uh, professional men, there's always the guy who is uh, more or less the, uh, let's put it this way, he's, uh, he's a barrel of fun type. You know, there's uh, one doctor who comes in and, walks up behind another doctor and says, Boo! What is this? And with that, he whips out a fresh set of just freshly removed appendices and uh, whips them down into uh, his doctor friend's... Uh, uh, <laughs> he's eating the funiculi with the tomato sauce. And the next thing you know, he's got... You know, oh, yeah, that's, that's Dr. Humor. I'm just telling you what Dr. Humor's like. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's right. Don't worry, honey, I'll do that. I, I uh, know of one doctor one time who... Uh, who gave another doctor as a you know as a Christmas gift? Uh, he gave him a beautiful set of uh, of preserved adenoids, which uh, were in a nice bottle of formaldehyde and wrapped in gift wrapper. Yeah, you know this th that's the kind of humor. I'm sorry, that's the kind of stuff that people do. You know, don't blame me. I don't make the news. I just report it. Yeah, this is W O R New York, as if you you know couldn't guess. And uh, by the way, before we go any further with this uh, sickening story about the dentist, I would like to, uh, uh, I'd like to give you a little uh, note here uh, for uh, those of you who uh, would like to hear something very, very interesting. I mean, really interesting. Uh, about a week ago, I recorded a show, and listen to this, Nick, you may find it fascinating. I know, I, I did. I was surprised. Uh, a week ago or so, I recorded a show down and in the municipal building. You know you know the municipal building downtown. Now, for those of you who live out of town, you may not know that New York City has its own municipally-owned radio station, non-commercial, of course, as so much of our city is. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, it's a municipally-owned radio, AM, FM, and TV. Well, they have a, a show, which I've never heard before, and it's put on by the New York City library system, and it's for kids. But it's not for kids, it's by kids. So they get a whole group of kids, panel, like teenage kids, like, uh, you know, in junior high and that. And uh, they, uh, 
they discuss a book that they've all read with the author. So the author's sitting there, see, and here these kids are, you know, talking to them, and it can be fantastic books. You know, I'm not talking about kid books. I'm talking about books, see. So uh, uh, anyway, I was invited to record one of these, and uh, all these kids, there were about uh, 12 or 15 kids who had been given a copy by the library and had been assigned to read Wanda Hickey's Night of Golden Memories. Well, <laughs> they, they said, come on down now, the kids are ready. <laughs> they've, they've, they've got their table all set up now, and they're ready to talk to the author. And you ought to see the way it's done. These kids all sit there, you know, they all have a microphone in front of them, and each kid's got a little thing in front of his name. It says uh, Fred, or it says uh, Lucille, you know, <laughs> and uh, Ira. And uh, these kids all sit there, and they discuss the book. They really seriously, and, and it's the, some of the most uh, interesting stuff comes out uh, about, you know, what you've written. And if you're curious, this show will be heard, if you want to hear it, it, of course, it's recorded a week or so before it's actually played. It'll be heard Friday. That's this Friday. No, I'm sorry. I recorded it on Friday. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, it, it's going to be on Saturday, and the date is the 29th. Uh, Saturday the 29th, and will be heard on AM and FM on uh, WNYC. And if you don't know the frequencies, AM, NYC, AM station is on 830 on the dial. And the FM station, the FM signal, which is a good signal in this area, is 93.9. And the time will be 10.30 a.m., the 29th. And uh, if, you're, if you're curious what kids think of Wanda Hickey's Night of Golden Memories and other disasters, uh, you may be surprised. Uh, you know, the older the person is, the more he tends to think this is a past memorabilia. Well, that shows that you're not quite getting... <laughs> what it's what it's what's being said, and uh, and you may be interested to hear what the 12, 13, 14, 15 year old kids have to say about some of the great remarks. Uh, so and and one of the things that interested me was the was uh, at least three or four of the kids uh, brought up uh, topics of beat and cadence in the writing, which no reviewer, to my knowledge, has ever even touched on. So they heard, they could hear, they hear, they, they think of reading as an, or, as, a, as an oral experience rather than a visual thing that you look at with your eyes. They hear it, which is a real way to hear. It's a real way to read. But anyway, that's going to be this Friday, and I thought you might be interested in hearing about it. I, I'm just mentioning it because I know what will happen if I don't mention it. A lot of people later on will write to me and say, how come you didn't mention it because I heard later on that it was on. But it will be... Saturday, the 29th, and that's not on WR, it's going to be on uh, WNYC AM, 8.30 on the dial, or WNYC FM, which is 93.9 on the dial. But it was really a great, uh, a great half hour, really, really good. You know, it's funny, uh, as, uh, this is so I entertaining to listen to. You wonder why commercial radio stations do, don't do more things like that. Uh, it was a really entertaining, interesting thing. For example, one kid just popped out. I'll just give an idea of what other kind of things. The, the woman, there's a lady who moderates it. She's from the library, and she said to the kid, she says, she says, now, do you, any of you know whether or not, that she says in the, in the story about the top, the murderous Mariah, which is in the book, she says, uh, she says uh, do kids play with tops? Well, she thought it was a story about tops. See, well, one kid says, well, Mrs. So-and-so, that, that story isn't about tops. It's about a bully. It's about a tough guy. Oh. 
<laughs> to her. Then she says, well, do kids name uh, inanimate objects anymore? She assumed that was always a pen. No. And one other kid says, yes. She says, what do you mean? He says, well, my brother Ronald, he's got a stick. He calls it Fred. <laughs> he's got it. That's it. He dropped it there. Then he also threw a gratuitous. He's also got $29. And we ran out to the next subject. But that's fantastic uh, remarks on this show. So be sure to hear it. It's a, it's a groovy show. You know, uh, you want to hear the rest of the dentist story. All right, my friend John, see, he says, uh, he says, yeah, he says, you know Wesley? And I said, yeah, I heard you talk about Wesley. He says, you know, Wesley's the funny dentist, see? And uh, he's the kind, you know, was always giving his uh, dental assistant a hot foot, uh, you know, that kind, pretending he's giving her pedital, you know, like, you know, ah, ooh, yeah, he comes running in with a great big, yeah, he says one of the things he did one time uh, to uh, to give one, he has a very nervous patient, you know, some people are very nervous about dentists, you know, and it's a, a very nervous uh, a guy, uh, who, uh, you know, wears celluloid collars and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, he says, there's guys that still do that. He said, the very nervous guy, he's, he looks like, uh, he looks like, uh, uh, you know, a character out of Dickens. He's bald head, high, uh, wears little bow ties with celluloid collars. And he's very nervous about the dentist, but very tight-lipped, as if nothing bothers him. And yet he says he can see stark fear in his eyes. So uh, one day, Wesley, uh, Dr. Wesley, wearing his uh, jazzy white uh, coat, you know, being the dentist. He has this mirror on top, and he lowers the light down over over uh, the nervous patient. And he says, uh, Miss uh, Mortimer, please, would you uh, please uh, handle me uh, nut pick number two? And uh, she gives him nut pick number two, and he digs in his mouth. He says, uh, light, please. He lowers the light a little bit. Then he says, uh, <clears throat> uh, hypodermic, please. And he reaches behind him. She hands him this hypodermic. Well, he has a veterinary friend, and uh, the veterinary friend had given him a hypodermic to kind of use on hippopotamuses, you know, when a hippopotamus has bad uh, joints or something. A tremendous, fantastic, gigantic, lethal-looking, totally uh, deadly-looking hypodermic, weighed about seven pounds, came in a shoulder holster, had a needle at least 14 inches long with prongs on it, you know, (laughs) and he takes this thing out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and he says, he just he just holds it up like that. He's going to stick this guy. He says, he the guy is being tight-lipped. So he, is a, he doesn't want to pretend nothing's happening. See? And he says, he, t- he sees the pupils of his eyes contract with the total fear. But he's sitting there very tight. He says he can hear his jockey shorts going twang, twang, out of fear. And the, he, he says, gigantic thing. And he just, that plays it absolutely cool, see? And he says, Miss uh, Mortimer, uh, uh, 225 cc, please, uh, solution number 12. But she turns around with the hypodermic. She's got a great big jug, and she goes, <laughs> sucks it all up in the hypodermic. <laughs> and he had made this this purple, green, gloppy-looking solution. <laughs> well, all right, that's the kind of humor this guy's got. Okay, you can see. It's it's really basic bad news humor, right? I mean, you know, it's that's the kind of stuff. So they had a good laugh, you know, and they sat around and drank Lavoras for half an hour and got bombed out of their skull, and, and uh, you know how it is. So, uh, nevertheless, this same guy, my friend John says, well, you know how Wes is, you know. And I said, yeah, I do know how Wes is. He said, well, he says, you know, Wes is always playing gags, right? And I says, well, I don't know. I mean, if you can call that giant hypodermic a gag, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, looks like he's got a little Adolf Eichmann blood in him, see, or something. And, uh... He says, uh, well, he says, you know what happened to Wes the other day? And I said, no. 
So, well, Russ has got this uh, this uh, this very elegant lady, you know, who comes in there all the time, and uh, he's been working on the on this uh, case, and uh, he has all the X-rays out, and uh, so uh, Russ uh, Russ is about to start work again. He, she's been coming in there like 15 times, and uh, so he gets to go. He gets working away there, and uh, he's extracting a tooth. You got it right, extracting a tooth. He says, so he gets everything ready, he gets everything done away, he gets all the stuff, the, uh, you know, the, the anesthesia going, everything like that, He's got, everything's going groovy, see? So he reaches in, he goes, that's it, that's neat, see? Everything worked just according to Hoyle. So he puts all his stuff back into the tray, you know, the girl is, uh, all of a sudden, Miss Mortar comes over and says, uh, Dr. Wes, and he says, yes, she's the wrong one. He's the wrong what? She's the wrong one. You pulled... The number 6SJ7 incisor. It was the number 6SJ7GT incisor. He says, what do you mean? He said, you pulled the wrong one. It was then that he realized what he had done. That horrible moment. He had the names alphabetically, all neatly, in his, his x-ray file. And he had pulled out the one right next to hers, alphabetically. And he pulled the wrong tooth. There she's laying there, see? <laughs> I says, John, what happened then? What did he do? He says, don't ask. I says, I won't. And so I would like to tell you, friends, I ask. I don't know what happened at that point. All I know is that the thing that Wes had always been laughing about all the other dentists, see, every time he would meet another dentist, he'd say, oh, well, uh, uh, pull any wrong tooth lately? <laughs> Wes is the only guy who actually did it. So I want to tell you, friends, there's a lesson in this for all of us. There's a real lesson in it for all of us. And that is, uh, don't horse around. That's a shepherd's lesson for today. Would you please listen to that? Don't horse around. No, I could just be horsed around here, you know, pretending like I was Uncle Don. And, uh, you know, <laughs> wouldn't it be funny if I said that? Uh... <laughs> Don't horse around. Do not horse around. Did I ever tell you about the friend that I knew? The, the friend of mine who is to this day, his life is ruined to this day. Ruined, because he horsed around. Horsing around. You get into trouble, more trouble, horsing around than any other thing. Yeah, any other thing. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you one thing. A friend of mine, who is now working in Chicago, by the way, he's got a big TV show there. And I know, God knows where he could have gone if he, if he hadn't done this. I mean, he could have gone. He could be working in, uh, you know, some big place by now. But, he, yeah, that's right. You know what he did? He's, uh, he's, he's was doing the morning news. He's a staff announcer, you know. And he was doing the morning news on this radio station. And uh, he'd come in every morning, like, at 6 o'clock, you know, he'd, at 5 a.m., and he'd do the 6 o'clock news. They had this big morning show. See, and he'd do the 6 o'clock news, and he'd do the 7 o'clock news. No five-minute newscast. You know, just strictly staff. Well, he, the big newscaster came on at 8. You know, the big guy, you know, like Lyle Van on the human side of the news. You know, some big-type announcer would come in and do the news. You know, newscaster, that's different from an announcer. So uh, he's sitting around there. He's bored, you know. It's quarter to 8. And this guy was a real stiff, uh, totally, totally stuffed shirt type. You know, the guy that comes on at 8. Yeah, he was the kind of guy that clears his throat for, oh, 15, 20 minutes before he goes on. And he has little megaphones attached to his ears so he can hear his own voice, you know. Hmm, one, two, three, four. Hmm, good morning, Americans. He'd practice it. 
he sit in his little room in there. He had a room, uh, so you know, attached to the news machines. He said things like, <clears throat> "Good afternoon, Americans." And uh, he's very good at that kind of thing. Went on to become very big, and now he says it even more. He's on the network and everything. Now the same guy, see. He says, "Good afternoon, Americans everywhere." That kind of thing. Very. He's got elegant style, see. Or uh, one of his great lines is, uh, <clears throat> "Are we the American taxpayers consulted?" And so ends my open letter to the president. Good afternoon, Americans everywhere. He's always writing open letters to the president. You know, <laughs> that takes guts. But uh, nevertheless, uh, he, he's that type, see, so, and, and thoroughly hated, by the way, by the rest of the staff. He was such a totally pompous uh, fake Newton that, uh, you know, he made your teeth squeak just to look at him. Yeah, he had, you know, he put starch in his Fruit of the Loom shorts, you know, that kind of a guy. You know, it's very... Very, very square, John. So, nevertheless, uh, my friend Wally, we will call him that for want of a better name. Yes, he's a real pippy-poo type. He, uh, he's sitting at the typewriter in the newsroom waiting for his shift to end. He's been on since about 3 in the morning, bored out of his bird and uh, half asleep. And he types up this bulletin. <laughs> just a bullet. You'd think anybody would realize it's a gag. You know, he types it up on newspaper. It says, uh, Washington, all National Guard and all training units and all units of the U.S. Army were today mobilized at 7 a.m., period. By order of the president, period. That's it. He just left it there. Say, well, not anyone. You know, come on. That would be all over the news. You know, I would be in 5,000 uh, reams of copy. Bells would ring everywhere if that happened, right? Well, do I have to ask you what Square John did? No, well, he didn't do what you thought he did. He didn't come in and put it on the air. No, he got this thing, see? Well, he thinks he's very important. See, the one thing about Square Johns is they always think everybody's spying on them. Uh, the, yes, this is a form of ego to believe the FBI is spying on you. You have to think of yourself as very important <laughs> to believe that the FBI would be spying on you. This is for you. Oh, yeah, that's a kind of a paranoia. So it's a self-involvement to believe that uh, J. Edgar Hoover, the FBI, uh, the CIA, everybody's spying on you. you know, that means you're, you're a really important guy. So uh, anyway, he comes in there and he finds this note. What do you think he did? He called the FBI and said that a saboteur has placed in his news files an erroneous false message which would cause panic in the United States. Now, wait a minute. This guy's on a little 250-watt peanut whistle in Midway. Can you imagine the planning a panic in the United States? <laughs> That's how, how important he thought his newscast would cause panic. People would run out the streets. Oh, we are being attacked. Did you hear the 8 a.m. news? Oh, we're being attacked. 250-watt. We were down. Our station was so far down the dial at that time, Nick, that the... Our listening audience competed rather unfavorably with the police calls. And then, in fact, uh, we were down around in that frequency. I think we were just about this side of short wave. Uh, we were down there where there were little birdies and whistles, you know. Once in a while, you'd hear uh, radiators banging in the back, all kinds of <laughs> noises. So anyway, he called the FBI. Within five minutes, uh, the 18 agents come, you know, at the rods, a radio station, and uh, they go around, they have, uh, they, they powder things on, you know, to find out where the, you know, where. <laughs> and all the while, Wally's back home in his room in the Y. You know, he's trying to get some sleep. He figures his little gag, and that's the end of it, see? Well, 15 minutes later, 
And I have to tell you what happened. Yes, indeed. So, uh, yeah, he's they, they yank him out, you know. He's a saboteur and all this stuff. You know, he's trying to panic the United States. Well, uh, nevertheless, what, what is this from? Horsing around. All right, tonight's show is about that, uh, that elusive human uh, uh, thing called horsing around. Now, I submit to you the guy with a bulldozer might have been horsing around. I imagine for years... These guys with the bulldozers said, what do you think, Charlie? What day, you know, they knocked out the wrong house. You know, uh, well, well, <laughs> well, <laughs> horsing around. Now, I'm going to tell you a terrible story. I, and this is a true story, and I'm going to tell it to you, and I'm going to lay it out just the way it was. And it's, a, it's the ultimate horsing around horror story. The ultimate horsing around horror story. And incidentally, may I point out, that horsing around is often the direct product of boredom. <laughs> yeah, you know it, man. Oh, you know it. You sit around and master control long enough, and uh, you're bored out of your bean. You know, you can hear your head. You can actually hear it turning to sauerkraut. You know, your brain is beginning to ferment. Uh, that with just plain stagnation, you are a human swamp, blackish water. And uh, you, have you ever had the feeling your head has been asleep for a while, you know? <laughs> Once in a while you can hear a bubble in your brain, and up comes this rare poison gas that seeps out of your ears, you know? Well, uh, nevertheless, this is, a, you know, this is, this is, this is uh, the ultimate thing. This is what causes horsing around. and Because uh, it's, a, it's a desire, a secret desire to blow up the place is what really it stems from. Well, where is boredom? It raised to a fine art. I mean, outside of, you know, the 24th floor here. I mean, uh, where, <laughs> I mean, where is boredom raised to a fine art? That's right. You are correct, them all. I, I discovered new dimensions in boredom when I was in the Army. No, no, there ain't no civilian can even remotely touch on the subject of boredom when he's around the, uh, anyone who has spent any time, any length of time, in any one of the major services. I mean, because boredom... I can remember, you know, being so bored, you, you, you reach a point in boredom where you don't even know you're bored anymore. It's just like a... Does a hamster know it's a hamster? Just squatting in a cage? Eating seeds? You know, year after year, just squatting and belching, and that's it? A hamster? No! Have you ever looked at an animal and said, what... You know, gee, it must be boring just to be a dog. What is a dog? You just walk around. Doesn't he ever read? <laughs> no, you know. See, he's he, 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 he's so bored. I mean, his boredom is so profound that he doesn't even know he's bored anymore. Well, that's the way it is in the Army a lot of times, see. Well, a, a few years ago, when I was uh, working in another city, and I'm not going to tell you the name of the city, I was broadcasting. I did a, a nightly, like a nightclub show. See, I never did studio stuff much. And I was always doing on-stage broadcasts and stuff, you know, like the limelight and that. And I was broadcasting from a big nightclub restaurant in this city. And it was a big show. And, you know, live up on stage and all that stuff. And the guy that ran it, it that ran his place, he had a curious, morose quality about it. I couldn't pinpoint it. Now, the place would be filled with, uh, you know, riotous uh, customers buying everything but the tablecloths, you know, which they stole. Uh, 
You know, just, just squirting money. And he'd still walk around. He had a morose look in the eyes, see? So one night, after the show, I'm sitting there, and the, and the, we're through. See, the place is emptied out, and I, I walk down through the empty tables after the show and is over, and the guys are sweeping up, and, and I'm walking through the tables, and all of a sudden, I see over in the corner, I see Cy sitting over there. See, I'll call him Cy, okay? Uh, you know, it's a silly reason to call him that. Well, actually, his name was Cy, but uh, uh, I, I, I see Cy sitting over there in the corner, and I said, how are you, Cy? See, and he said, okay. And we had a great night. You know, the place had been packed. And, had, you know, money flowing in, people yelling and screaming, drinking champagne out of slippers and the whole bit, you know. And I said, how are you, Cy? What, you know, what's up? He said, oh, I said, I'll have a drink. So I said, yeah, okay, Cy. And uh, see, this is one of the one of the uh, punishments of working in nightclubs. You always got to have a drink with a boss. And you know, due to uh, due to the fact that it's such an ingrained habit with him, he instinctively waters your drink, uh, even when you're having one with him. Say, so uh, I sit down there, and he says, "What do you have?" And I says, "Jack Daniel." Well, I knew I wasn't going to get that. You know, it's a bar whiskey that his friend Fred W. Barr makes in his basement down the street. Say, and uh, you know, they make it out of uh, out of pure alky, you know, they put a little of caramel syrup in it, you know, and O.D. bourbon, and uh, so uh, I, I'm, I'm sitting there drinking this rot gut, and, and uh, I finally I came out with it, I said, Cy, what's eating you anyway? I says, it's late at night, I, you know, I was I was feeling pretty good, so I figured, well, what the hell, let's blow the gaff, I said, what's, what's bugging you anyway? Why is it? He said, what do you mean? That's what, you know, Cy said, I know you a long time, and you, you walk around here, you know, and uh, and uh, in the middle of everything, guys are hitting you on the back and screaming and yelling, you know, and you got the biggest thing in this town since bottled beer, and the Copa would be jealous of you. What's what's bugging you? I don't know what you mean. I said, well, okay, Cy, you don't want to talk about it. All right, it's over me. It's okay, you know. There's nothing that makes a guy want to talk quicker than to pretend you don't give a damn about it. See, I was beginning to discover that principle, so I says, all right, okay. <laughs> it's probably dull anyway, you know. Boring story. How about another drink, Cy? That's so he says, uh, hey, uh, Luigi, another drink here. Uh, by the way, when he called the waiter Luigi, that means water at double. Uh, if he called him Fernando, that means, you know, slip a Mickey in it. So he says, uh, hey, Luigi, uh, another one here for Shep uh, here. So uh, I'm sitting there waiting, and then he starts to, he says, all right, all right. He says, I'll tell you what it is. I'll tell you. He says, in the Army. I said, yes, yeah, so was I, Cy. He says, I was in the, he says, well, you know, you know how bored you get in the Army? And I says, yes, I, I do. He says, well, I'll tell you. He says, I, I was assigned to an island. And he said, it was just a little island way out in the middle of the Pacific. Me and another bunch of guys, about 25 guys, in a signal corps radio teletype relay company. And I said, oh, God. He says, yeah, you have no idea. Relay? We didn't even invent messages. We relayed them. He says, that's all. He says, and there was nothing else on the island. He says, there were a couple of toads. He says, there were half a dozen... Uh, guinea pigs running around. He said, they have big guinea pigs out there. Yeah, they really do, you know, out the Pacific. Did you know that? They got big, fat rodents. And he says, uh, they were all male. Which even made it worse. He said, you know, female guinea pigs. And he says, that, and there was no beach. He says, yeah, everybody thinks of the South Pacific as a beach, you know? No beach. 
He says, are, are nothing but cliffs all around. He says, if you ever tried to swim, forget it. Between the sharks and the fact that the water was filled with little sharp things that cut your feet, he says, there was no beach. There was nothing. He says, it was 150 degrees there all the time. And he said, when it wasn't 150 degrees, it was 190. And when it wasn't 190, it was raining. And then it was 210. He says, it actually rained the boiling water. He says, we're sitting there. He says, the first year goes by, and he said, one ship went by us. He says, we could see it out on the horizon, like uh, 400 miles away. Everybody went down to the cliff and looked at it through spyglasses. It was a ship passing on the horizon. I said, where did it go? He says, I don't know. It just went over the horizon and disappeared. Never come there. I said, well, how did you get your supplies? He says, once every six months, a whole bunch of planes would fly over and drop stuff on them. He says, most of it would go in the ocean. I said, well, how long were you there? He says, well, he says, I was there going on to three years. And he says, now I want to tell you it was unbelievable. He said, so one morning, he says, it's, it's like five minutes to seven in the morning. I'm sitting there at the teletype machine, and the, and the messages are coming in and going out. They go, <laughs> they go from the war department, and they go out to MacArthur. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. He says, now watching the thing. Ding, ding, ding. And I'm running the machine. That's all. Just going on and through. And he says, now, we had a teletype. We could type a message if we wanted to and put it in on the line. He said, and, and we had these machines all sitting around with keyboards on them. He said, and so my friend Aki is sitting on the other side of the tent, and he's got a keyboard, right? He says, so we plug it up so that I can send the message to Aki. And so Aki is sending me dirty stories on his teletype, see? And it goes, ding, 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 and I'd laugh, see? So I sent him a dirty story. Ding, 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 and they're going back and forth, see? He said, so Aki gets a real funny idea. He goes, ding, 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 ding. Today, 17 GIs blew up General MacArthur. Ding, 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 ding. And he says, ah, we laugh at that one, see? So I think of a funny joke. So I say, ding, 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 ding. Today, the war ended all over the world. Ding, 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 report. Uh, Hitler has uh, has uh, surrendered. Ding, 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 ding. Signed Ike. Ding, ding, ding. General Eisenhower. Ding, ding, ding. The war in Europe is over. Ding, 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 ding. 6SJ7. And he, see, he signs the secret War Department code, which means high priority message all the way to the Supreme Headquarters. He thought it was a gag, see? And he just sent it over to his friend Aki. Aki left and left it in the machine. They go off shift. Now they're laying in their tent asleep, see? <laughs> it is now 8.30 in the morning. They go off the shift at 8. When all of a sudden, my friend wakes up with the sweat pouring, and he hears cannon fire. Boom! Pow, pow! He hears guys go, Boom, boom! Boom, boom! He wakes up, and across the tent from him is Aki. He says, Aki, Aki. Aki says, where are you going? Boom, boom! He says, Aki, listen, they're firing at our island. What the hell's going on? Aki opens the tent and looks out, and he sees a lot of naked GIs running around shooting the 45s up in the air. Kapow, pow, they're, they're screaming. The lieutenant is running, throwing his helmet up in the air. And Aki wanders out and says, what's the matter? And the guy says, didn't you hear, Aki? The war is over. It's over. We got the message from the Supreme Headquarters. And Aki says, yeah, really? And for five minutes, Aki celebrated. And then it hit him. It was his message. And, and the, the reports are filtering through. Somebody came into the tent at 8 o'clock in the morning, saw that message, 
in Aki's sorted message in Aki's telepath machine. This is for crying out loud. You mean the nuts last night didn't relay this on? He says they tore it off. They relayed it on to Eisenhower. They relayed it on to General MacArthur, to Admiral Nimitz, and all over the Pacific. Guys are celebrating, blowing up bombs. I mean, uh, that war was no more over, friend, than 1972 was over. And they had started the whole damn thing. Horsing around. Well, the people are cheering. Guys are running around saying, when do I get home? Oh, my God. And my friend Cy goes down to the headquarters tent. And sitting in there is their captain, bombed out of their, his skull. He's drinking, yelling, sit down, Cy, the war is over. How are you, boy? And Cy says, well, uh, Captain, that's what I come to talk to you about. He says, what do you mean, come to talk to me? Sit down, Cy. Hey, Cy, how about a drink? Hey, Cy, I'm going to make you a captain. Come on. What the hell? The war's over. He says, wait a minute, Captain. Excuse me, Captain, about that message. <laughs> about that message. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and outside the ships of now Nimitz's fleet is coming over the horizon firing its guns in celebration kaboom kaboom star shells are going up planes are flying overhead doing barrel rolls you know the guys are chick this about that message <laughs> captain <laughs> uh, don't get mad now I just you know I, one thing about you captain you know, got a sense of humor right <laughs> well uh uh, that message, uh, I typed it out and sent it to Aki. He says, well, yeah, well, why didn't you send it out to headquarters for crying out loud? It's the only thing going. He says, no, I just typed it I invented it. <laughs> I sent it to Aki. He said, you what? He said, I sent it to Aki. He said, oh, my God, quick, get, get MacArthur on the phone. End of story. This is WR New York. Stay tuned for Lester Smith and the News. His news is real. News in detail on the hour from the WOR Newsroom. The National Weather Service office in New York tonight predicts snow will reach this metropolitan area tonight, continuing into daylight tomorrow. When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.